0: We are continuing to work our way through Exodus. We're in chapter 8 today. If you're going to use a pew Bible, it's going to be page 50, 50 this morning. We're walking through Exodus. We've been starting in the beginning, walking through as God has been, been preparing us, as we have read, and, and pointing out the ways that he is working. He has remembered The Hebrews, even when they were suffering, even when they were oppressed and in slavery, he heard, he remembered, he saw, he knew. He has made it clear to Moses, I am who I am. And that he is going to be the rescuer and the redeemer, that he will bring them out, that he will deliver them, that he will redeem them, that he will be their God, and that he will bring them to the land that he's promised. God has been pointing the way all the way through and we've come now and these these chapters 7 and 8 and on through chapters 13 and 14 we've come to the plagues that we know about the the story of exodus is is familiar to us it has been even before we walked into it here in this series and so we know these plagues we can think about them in fact we understand even the repetitiveness of them a bit but god continues to show himself to Moses and Aaron, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, and to the Hebrews. Showed it in a snake, a a staff that turned into a snake. Showed it in blood, that Nile River that turns from water into blood. And then last week we walked through how the Nile then began to swarm with frogs and frogs entered all over the kingdom. God is showing his might, he's showing that he even begins to to defeat all of the the gods of Egypt as we've been walking through that, that God is demonstrating he is the one that's sovereign over all of creation. So last week we talked about how the frogs began to swarm, the house and the bedroom and the beds and the, the kneading bowls and the ovens. Not one or two frogs. This was not the comical story that you probably saw in your Bible picture book with one frog hopping out of the kneading bowl. These were frogs, swarms and swarms of frogs. And the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, again, just as they have for two other of these plagues, the Pharaoh's magicians again produce more frogs, and more frogs is not better, but they do add to the dilemma. And so Pharaoh says, plead with the Lord. Plead with Yahweh, he says, if you remember. Plead with Yahweh. Pharaoh started back in chapter five saying, who is this God that I should obey him? And now says, plead with this God that he might relieve us, that he might help us, that he might take, take this plague away from us. In chapter five, if you remember in that story, as Pharaoh said, who is this God that I should obey him? He also, he also when he gave the instructions uh, to, the, to the slave drivers that they needed to, to have the Hebrews work and, and no longer had straw to build the, the bricks that they, were, that they still had the same number of bricks to build but needed to find their own straw. In the midst of that, he says, make them work harder so that they will not remember or not hear these lying words, talking about the, the words that Moses had given uh, to pharaoh about sending his people out. And then as as the work got harder the hebrews the hebrews came to Moses and they said you have you have made us you have made them them work us even harder and so now we stink to we stink to pharaoh and to the egyptians if you remember that part in chapter 5. Here in chapter 8 the story of the frogs we, we begin to see that it's not god who's lying. It's Pharaoh who's lying. Pharaoh has said, you, can, you can, can leave, you can go and worship. We'll see that again today in this next couple of plagues. But Pharaoh is the one who is now reneging on his word. When, when he gets some respite, when he has this moment, when he has this moment where all of the frogs have finally died and he, he has a little bit of breathing room, he takes away the promise that he was made. He's the one that's lying. And now, in this moment, the frogs die all over the kingdom. And it says that they heap them up, collect them up, put them into big hot piles, and all of Egypt stink. The stink is not the, stink is not the Hebrews to the Egyptians, but it's the result of this curse, the result of this punishment, this result of this plague that is on Pharaoh and his people. Last week I talked about how in this moment of rescue, in this moment where where the frogs all croak, I said last week, when the frogs all died, they really had two options. They could pick up the shovels and begin to pick up all of the pieces, all of the frogs that they had all over the kingdom. They could begin the hard work of dealing with the consequences of this punishment, the consequences of their sin. They could deal with that hard work. They could begin to pick it up. The cleanup was going to be difficult and the piles were going to stink, but they could work at it or they could take that moment as Pharaoh did to thumb their noses at God's grace. They could... Let their hearts become hard and numb and they could return right back to their old place just as Pharaoh did as he walked right back into the palace and reneged on the promise that he had made. We come now to to plague number three, the, the plague of the gnats as you're looking in chapter eight there. This is the third plague. There's, the, the plagues begin, they, they have a bit of a cycle to them. Plagues one, two, and three are similar to plagues four, five, and six, which are similar to plagues seven, eight, and nine. There's some similarity that we see in those, in those cycles. Uh, in, in the first plagues of each of those cycles, in the, in the water to blood and in the, in the flies and in the hail, plague number one of each cycle, uh, we see Moses gets up early and he heads to meet Pharaoh, it tells us. And he reminds Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, this is God's command, let my people go. That's what he begins with in each of the cycles. In the second plague of the cycles, in the frogs and the death of the livestock and in the locusts, Pharaoh again gets a warning. Moses again comes to Pharaoh in in that moment, warns him again of a second plague that's coming, a second judgment that's about to come. And Pharaoh again reneges on it. And then the third plague in each cycle, the gnats, the boils, the darkness, there's no warning that comes with those plagues. Uh, we'll see that as we read here in, in chapter eight in just a moment. There's no warning that comes from God. There's no warning, at least that's told to us, where, Pharaoh, where Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and give him a warning. There is just a judgment. There's also... It's also in these third plagues, the third plagues of the cycle, uh, there's, there, each of those kind of end with the magicians throwing up their hands and saying, we, we can't do it anymore. We, we were able to turn water into blood. We were able to turn our staff into a snake. We were able to create more frogs. But now, we can't do it anymore. In fact, here in, in chapter 8, he said, they say, this has to be the finger of God. Later, when, they, when they're all covered in, in, in boils, they, they can't even stand, it says, to make any kind of stand against Moses and against Aaron. And the other thing we see in this third cycle, the third part of the cycle, is that there's no resolution. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but there's no resolution for gnats and for boils. There is for darkness, but there's no resolution for gnats and boils, at least that we see, that we read about in Exodus. In these... In these different cycles, this first cycle, plagues one, two, and three that we've walked through blood and frogs and, and now gnats. In this first cycle, it's almost as if the battle is between uh, the lieutenants. Pharaoh and his magicians come to battle against Aaron, is the one that leads the charge in these first, in these first three plagues. In the second three plagues, plagues four, five, and six, we see that the battle isn't between the lieutenants any longer. The magicians are, are, are useless. They're inept at this point. Aaron is no longer mentioned, but now it's Moses. Moses and Pharaoh, they are head to head in a direct battle in plagues four, five, and six. In plagues seven, eight, and nine, even Moses begins to fall out of the picture and the, and the plagues begin to be just right directly between God, Yahweh, and Pharaoh himself. This cycle we're going to see over and over as we look through these plagues. So let's read today. We're going to start in chapter eight. We're going to to read starting in verse 16. It's page 50. If you're using your own Bible this morning, reading about the third and the fourth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all of the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said it would not be right for us to do so. For the offerings that we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? So we must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. And Moses says, Behold, I am going, going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. Only let Pharaoh cheat. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice for the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people; not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not. Let the people go. We're seeing, again, that Pharaoh is consistent. He's consistent in hardening his heart. He's consistent in reneging on the promises that he made. He did that earlier at the, at the conclusion of the frogs. He takes that moment, that moment of breathing room, and, and, and reneges on his promises. He does not. He does not let the Israelites go, as he had said, And so we come here to plague three. There's no warning, as I mentioned. There's no warning. We just jump directly into it. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron to stretch out his staff and strike the dust of the earth. God sends this plague seemingly as a punishment against Pharaoh turning his back on the promise that he had made. And so the dust of the earth becomes gnats, it says. All the dust of the earth becomes gnats in the land of Egypt now as we've walked through these plagues we've we've taken some time just to just to sit in that to think about it to think about how all the blood or all the water even, even the water in the in the cups that they had set out from the night before to drink in the morning that all all of the water turned to blood how frogs were in every corner and crevice of your homes, even, even in your beds and in your cupboards and in your ovens and in your kneading bowls. And I want you to think about gnats, but not just gnats. The word, the word gnats is difficult to understand, and the picture that we have are these little tiny bugs that fly all over it, and that could be, that could be what they were. But it seems like the word that commentators actually would transfer this to more than gnats are are. Lice or fleas, something super, super small, something very uh, invasive. I talked about the invasiveness of the frogs all over last week. Think about lice and fleas. So many that it seemed, at least, that all of the dust, all of the dust of the earth were turned into these small creatures fleas or lice or chiggers or noceums, whatever the name is that you use, it would not be pleasant. They're all over, just like the dust of the earth. They're landing on you. It even even says that, that they will be on man and beast. They're landing on you. They're living on you. They're attacking you. They're in all kinds of places, and on every surface. This time the magicians again, try to duplicate the miracle, but they fail to do so. This is the first time that we have walked through this, that they have failed to add to the problem. They're unable to add to the problem, which again is, as we've walked through it, we've seen God's grace in the midst of each of these plagues. And in the first one, God's God's grace is that there is still water to drink. They have to dig for it along the Nile, but there is a place for them to get water. There's grace in the fact that the frogs die, even though they die all over the kingdom and have to be piled up in heaps of stinking, rotting amphibians. There's grace here from God, too, in that the magicians are not... Able to add more gnats because more gnats is not better. But their response, as the magicians cannot duplicate it, finally is to say, This, this is the finger of God. It's not, a, it's not a call of repentance like we talked about last week with Pharaoh. In this moment of recognition, he sees that there's only one place to go. He, he, he ran to God in the midst of the, of, the, of, of the frogs. He will do it again as we look at the flies. He runs to God. He asks for Moses to plead. He knows there's nowhere else for him to go. He has this recognition, but he does not have repentance. And that seems to be the case here with the magicians as well. They recognize this is greater than what we can do. They recognize that this is more than what we can accomplish. But they do not have a moment of repentance. They do not kneel before God. It's also interesting to see in this this plague that there's no conclusion that we can see, at least. The frogs died, the water, after seven days, turned back to water. But this time, the gnats, the fleas, the lice, the chiggers and noceums, whatever it might be, there's no end to it, some commentators believe that maybe maybe there was an end to it that ultimately they did finally go away, and it just isn't listed in here as it's written in the cycle that it's written in, but i think I think the other idea is that maybe these, along with the boils that come in, in a couple of plagues later, that maybe they stick around for a while. maybe this is something that that both the Hebrews in this plague, the Hebrews and the Egyptians have to deal with for a while. That's a long-term thing. That This judgment, that this punishment sits on the Egyptians, lives on the Egyptians for a while, sits on the Hebrews and sits on the Israelites for a while. I think maybe it's one way that God is going to be reminding the Hebrews, the Israelites, that they don't want to return to Egypt. We know, as, as, as you've read the story of Exodus, you know the, the story in, in numbers. That a number of times, a number of times the Israelites have, have left. They've, they've been led out into the wilderness by Moses. They're, they've escaped from the Egyptians. The Red Sea is closed in on the Egyptian army. They're free. And a number of times they say, oh, if only we could go back. If only we could go back. I think this is one of the things that God says, that put, he puts in their mind to say, you don't want to go back. Remember remember the fleas? Remember the lice? You don't want to go back. As a reminder to the Hebrews, God is at work, and he will lead us. The fourth plague that we read about in chapter 8 is the flies. There's some repetitiveness to it. Once again, Moses goes to Pharaoh early in the morning. Again, Moses says, thus says the Lord. Listen, this command comes directly from God. Let my people go that they may serve me. These, these Hebrews, these, these Israelite people, they have been serving Pharaoh. They've been, they've been working and slaving for the Egyptians. And he says, these are my people and they will worship and serve me. So he says, let my people go that they may serve me or else, you can hear it coming, or else, if you will not let my people go, I'm going to send swarms of flies on you and your servants and that's exactly what happens. Swarms of flies. So again, the, the picture, if you, can, if you can handle thinking about it, swarms of flies, Everywhere, flying everywhere, swarms all through the air, everywhere that you are, so much so that not only are they swarming through the air, but there's so many flies that they cover the ground as well. Everywhere that you walk, there are flies. There's so many flies in the air that they have to sit on the ground. Everywhere. Again, this could have been a direct response against one of the Egyptian gods, there's several gods that that Egypt would have worshipped each of these each of these plagues probably probably was a direct response against one of the gods. They're not listed in scripture. We've talked about that a little bit. They said but the the Egyptians had several flying kinds of gods that they could have worshipped. We know, if you if you know much about Egypt history, you know that the scarab, the beetle. Would have been uh, a, a, a deity to them that would have been prevalent in lots of their in lots of their art and in their in their uh, in in many of the of the coffins and things that they had they had scarabs on there uh, or Beelzebub was the Lord of the Flies he also was worshipped in Egypt during that time and so again this could have been a direct response of God showing his might, showing his power against the gods of the Egyptians. But there's a new wrinkle in this this plague. In this plague, starting in in verse 22, it says, but on that day, God says, all of these flies are going to come. They're going to swarm all over. They're going to be on the ground that you walk on. But on this day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell. For the first time that we see, at least here, God has has put a division between his people and Pharaoh's people, between the people of the Hebrews, between the Israelites and the Egyptians. God has given grace to the Hebrews that he hasn't given previously. It doesn't appear. He's given grace so that, it says, I will put division between my people and your people, so that you will know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I'm doing this. I'm giving grace to the Hebrews so that you might know, so that you might know that I am the Lord. God is keeping his covenant that he has made with Abraham. The covenant that we talked about way at the very beginning as we started to walk through the story of Exodus. God is keeping the covenant that he made with Abraham. He has a chosen people. He has made a promise to a people. He has made a covenant with a people. He has treasured a people. And he has promised to rescue and to redeem a people. And he is keeping that promise and he's showing glimpses of it, even right here in plague number four. What's the difference between the Hebrews and the Egyptians? Not much. There's nothing that the Hebrew people did to earn this respite from the flies. There's nothing that they did that, that, that makes them deserve it any more than the Egyptians. But God has chosen a people. God has promised to a people. God is treasuring a people. God continues to show this treasure, this chosenness to his people throughout these next plagues and the distinction becomes even more clear when we come to plague number 10 to the Passover as we anticipate that coming God has chosen a people and he has rescued a people even in the midst of this Pharaoh again once again quickly comes to defeat He sees that there's no, there's no way around it. There's all of these flies. His magicians are useless. The secret arts no longer work. There's nothing that he can do. There's swarms of flies everywhere, all through Egypt, all through the palace, all through the homes. And so he comes to Moses and he says, please, please go to God, plead with him, take these away. I'll let you go. I'll let you go and sacrifice. Just stay close. And Moses says, we can't, we can't stay close. The sacrifices that we have to make, the, the offerings that we have to make are, are animals and offerings that, that are thought to be holy, are judged to be holy by the Egyptians. And so if you see us offering those animals and making those sacrifices, you're going to think it's an abomination before you and, you're, and, and the Egyptians are going to try to attack and to, and to stone us if they're to see these sacrifices. We cannot do it right here and so pharaoh says go just just don't go far and so moses again promises to plead on pharaoh's behalf again to stand at that liaison in that priestly mode between pharaoh and god and he does he pleads he pleads with the lord that the swarms of flies might depart and then he says to pharaoh i will do this i will plead But don't cheat again, he says. Don't renege on your promise again. If you do, if you do, these punishments will only grow and get worse. And so in the midst of it, Moses went out from Pharaoh. He prays to the Lord, and the the Lord does just as Moses asks. Removes the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one fly remains. But Pharaoh hardens his heart this time also and did not let the people go. The miracle of these plagues is not just the fact that the flies come. It's that the flies go too. There's a number of miracles that we see in the midst of this. It's not just that God, God reverses creation, the order of creation. In, in, if we, as I talked about last week, the, the idea that God, God brought brought creation out of chaos, brought order out of chaos, and now, now is reversing that creation and bringing chaos out of order, multiplying the flies, multiplying the frogs, bringing the fleas. But God is showing his power over all things and removes the swarms of flies by providing another miracle. The miracle is in the coming and in the going of these plagues. But Pharaoh doesn't see it. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. So as the worship team comes this morning, our last question has to be, what does this mean for us? What's the application for you and I this morning? What can we see in the story of these fleas and flies that helps us today here And the story is, the answer to that question is, I don't know for sure, except that there seems to be a command to follow the instruction and the commands of the Lord. There's a judgment that will come. There's a judgment that is promised to come all through scripture. There's a judgment that will come, and it's not going to be fleas and flies, though it it's going to be just as bad. It's going to be worse, actually. There will be an eternal, an unending judgment. And in that moment, the only ones who will be rescued, the only ones who will be saved, the only ones, the only ones who will be in Goshen, the only ones who will be saved from the judgment, are those who have trusted in God entrusted in the promise of God and even more trusted in the name of Jesus as we head towards the Passover as we head toward plague number 10 we'll see that there has to be a sacrifice that sacrifice was Jesus and Paul tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a judgment yet to come and we want to place our hope and our trust in the name of Jesus. So stand with me this morning as we look to the name of Jesus and as we hope in his final work.
1: Of the Father, before the dawn of time, You spoke and all creation came to be. The molecules and planets reveal Your great design. And everyone was made so we could see, so we could see. You are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. Your power is unequaled, your love beyond all heights. No greater sacrifice than when you lay down your life. We join the Son of Angels who praise you day and night, glorious Christ. And dwell among the outcasts and the poor. You came to be forsaken. And died to take our curse. So you could be our joy forever. The greatest of all delights Your power is unequaled Your love beyond all heights No greater sacrifice Than when you lay down your life We join the song of angels Who praise you day and night Glorious Christ seated now in heaven and thrown at God's right hand you've shattered death and freed us from our fears and though we cannot see you you're coming back again and all will be made right when you appear and all will be made right when you appear Christ, the greatest of all delights, your power is unequal. your love beyond all heights, no greater sacrifice, when you lay down your life, we join the Son of Angels, who praise you day and night, glorious Christ.
0: The Apostle Paul gives us our benediction in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.